Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome back, friends. I have a special interview for you today. I interviewed Mado Hasselink, and Mado interviewed me on her podcast, the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, a while back. And during that interview, we talked a lot about finding refuge because it had just come out. So it was an honor to interview Mado on the Finding Refuge podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Mado helps yoga teachers integrate their heart-centered mission with practical teaching strategies so that they can integrate the benefits of yoga into their lives and share those benefits with their community. A student of yoga for over 20 years in the Krishnamacharya lineage, Mado is white and able-bodied, queer, neurodivergent, an immigrant and lives on unceded Cherokee land. Her life has been profoundly influenced by the experience of growing up in Hawaii as a third culture individual, by becoming a mother at the age of 24, and by the death of her own mother in 2012. Parenthood and partnership continue to be her greatest yoga teachers, while asana and meditation support her aim to show up skillfully and compassionately in every area of her life. On her podcast, The Yoga Teacher Resource, Mado draws from nearly two decades of teaching experience to share relevant stories, practical tips, and down-to-earth advice specifically geared toward yoga teachers. Her membership community, the Impact Club, supports yoga teachers to stay consistent with their personal practice, find their voice, and move past psychological barriers to show up fully in service to the world. Community, accountability, and mentorship are often missing in the lives of independent yoga teachers, and the Impact Club exists to fill that gap. Mado is also co-founder of the Anatomy Bites membership community and has created several online courses for yoga teachers. She loves gardening, preparing food, walking by the river, and learning about, well, almost anything. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. So welcome, Mado. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for saying yes to this conversation. And I know we met several months ago. I was a guest on your podcast as the second edition of Skill in Action was coming out. And appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you for asking. Yeah. I would love to begin by um, hearing and learning more about you, who you are, what you do, um, what you practice, what you're up to. It's like four questions, but they're all about like, what's, what's up right now and who are you? So much. I feel like even one of those questions can be overwhelming. <laughs> it's true. 
when I try to distill what I do or why I do what I do, it's really about supporting yoga teachers to stay connected to what's important, what's most important. And there are so many angles of that. But that's what lights me up to step into. And for my background, I'm white. I am an immigrant. I am college educated. I'm neurodivergent. I live on Cherokee, ancestral Cherokee land. I'm a mother, a stepmother, partner, wife, queer, gardener, lifelong learner, questioner, student, probably a lot more, but those are the words that are popping into my mind. Mm-hmm. Thank you for locating yourself in, in that way with various parts of your identity and roles and even how you relate to the world, I heard in, in your response. And I would love to know more about your practice and work with yoga teachers and what led you like your path, like what led you to this space of working with yoga teachers in the way you do? Beautiful. That's a beautiful way of directing and narrowing the question. I was a bookworm as a child. So I always had my nose in a book. I grew up in Hawaii and I grew up in the jungle. So I did spend a lot of time outside riding bikes, climbing trees, making forts, eating guavas, but most, mostly I really felt nourished by stories. And so I'd spend a lot of time, like really immersed in this mind space. And it wasn't until I went to college and I was found myself in an environment where there were a lot of people who were embodied that I started to think, oh, you know, <laughs> that looks like something valuable. And I was a theater major, so that's part of it. There was a lot of embodiment in that world. And I found myself or was attracted to a karate dojo that my some of my professors and some of my classmates were a part of. It was really intense. It was like, you know, the, the, the initiation from somebody who was like, not a mover to like, whoa. There was even like some threads that were not super healthy about it, but it was this opportunity to be in a different way, to get to know myself in a different way, to engage with the world in a different way. And it also left my body like in pain a lot. So at the same time, I was introduced to yoga from my college professors. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I like this. So there was this balance happening or this symmetry between these two disciplines. And the yoga felt like this nurturing, lovely space to rest. And the martial arts felt like this really challenging space to figure out what I was capable of. After I graduated, I became pregnant with my older daughter very, very soon afterwards, I would say within a year. 
And at that time, especially after she was born, <laughs> it was really obvious that I could not keep pursuing both paths. That was just not possible. So for me at the time, the choice was very clear. I was like, I need more nurturing. I need more of this space that helps me feel rejuvenated and alive, but not depleted because being a young new mother is already depleting enough. So that's how I found my way to yoga. I was in a yoga teacher training when I became pregnant. I didn't complete that training, but I completed the same training about two years later when my daughter was a little bit over two and I've been teaching ever since. So that was in 2004 that I completed the training. And being a yoga teacher has basically been part of my identity ever since then. My relationship to yoga has shifted many times, but the teachings of yoga have really formed who I am as an adult and how I walk through the world beyond what I grew up with, right? Because I was really an adult when I found it. I was a young adult. So I associate it for me with maturity. Like as I mature, I mature within this container of the teachings of yoga. Something that struck me was about the two paths, the dojo you were part of and yoga. And you, you talked about the practice of karate, maybe eliciting this, this question of like, or process of figuring out what you were capable of and yoga as a place where you could, you were learning, but also resting. And I was like, oh, <laughs> is that what we're up to now? Like as humans, do we need to figure out what we're capable of and how are we, how do we do that? And how do we rest is totally where I went when you said that of like, what a profound um, teaching and, and how you were on, but you were doing both at the same time is what struck me about that and how that, even though you, you didn't continue on the path of karate and, and you explained why that I imagine that the practice of figuring out what you are capable of has been an ongoing practice and maybe figuring out how to rest or place for rest or what that even looks like or respite, maybe that's continued. So you can riff off of that or not, but I was really struck by that, you naming that. What really strikes me is how it they meet these two intentions or this these two explorations meet into the point of how much surrender am I capable of? How much flow am I capable of? How much sensitivity am I capable of? So in a lot of ways, the karate planted a seed, but it was a very specific type of learning capacity. It was, it was this very more, what we would call a masculine driving forward moving type of what am I capable of? And there are two sides of the same coin. So you just flip it around and you can't sustainably have one without the other. And we could also say that our culture is incredibly weighted already towards that driving side, that goal oriented side. So in some ways, learning the softer side is perhaps the side that requires more courage right now. Mm. Might be harder for a lot of people. Might be harder for me. I think definitely harder for me because 
you know, when I talk about describe myself as queer, which is not like a word that I use terribly often, but it's been very clear to me throughout my whole life, like that experience that you have of realizing that other people have names and terms for something that's just like your experience of existence is that when it comes to expression between these polarities, I'm like way more on the masculine side than my, I don't know, than my appearance expresses, than is normally associated with my sexual characteristics, et cetera. Like I know myself to be very, very masculine. Um, maybe one day we'll come up with like a much clearer term than masculine. Right. But right now everybody knows what that means. Personality wise, that's what's natural to me and the other stuff is like that's my growing edge mm -hmm. i appreciate the way that sometimes terms don't actually describe describe our experience you're naming that reality and dynamic and you still you're you're like using the words that we have available to try to describe your experience to me it feels like a attention, not that you're tense, but it feels like a, this, we only have these words because they're constructs and often they don't match our full experience and don't allow us to be whole. Like that kind of tension. I, I sort of feel that in this, in your describing like the paths in your experience as a person in your body and how you've known yourself and the, the authenticity around maybe the practice or part of the practice is learning more about rest and moving away from that drive, which of course shows up in all of our systems and our ways of being and our urgency and productivity. I mean, it's embedded. It's, it's everywhere. Um, but you naming in yourself that you're, maybe it's harder to work with what is sort of in opposition to that drive or in relationship with that drive, maybe not even opposition. And I would say that's sort of a collective issue as well. And I'm curious to know, you also named something about maturing with the your, the teachings, like you're, as you're maturing, your relationship maybe with the teachings to the teachings matures. And I would love to know more about like now at this moment, not necessarily one minute, but where you are in your life now, as you do your work and practice, what are you noticing about that maturation and what's coming forth and what's what's speaking to you or the teachings you're going back to over and over when we're young we really love these crisp clean clear answers and these teachings that are so profound but maybe a little bit one-dimensional and what i'm finding my experience of maturity is is being able to sit with not knowing or being able to sit with knowing two things that appear to be in direct opposition opposition to each other and not feeling you talked about urgency not feeling necessarily the urgency to resolve that to say yeah i can see this perspective i can see this perspective i think they're both true i think that there are ways that if we turn and look at them from a different angle then we might be able to see how they're both true but i I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of about developing comfort with uncertainty and not knowing. And it's so counterintuitive 
that that is wisdom <laughs> because we want wisdom to be these quotes, these pithy quotes that make sense right away. And unfortunately, or I don't know if it's unfortunate, but it's just like reality is that the longer that you're alive and the more you observe the world, the more you go, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. Mm -hmm. So part of that settling and that process of becoming, is there a better word than feminine? Help me out here. More receptive, more mm -hmm. what it means. Yeah. Receptive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of that that process, I'm gonna call it present and receptive. I think those it's because it's not just this passive receptivity, it's active. And part of that process includes not feeling this like you talked about tension. Well, there can be tension there with us being upset about it, mm -hmm. right? We can, we can almost relax into the tension. That's what I'm talking about. That to me is maturity. Mm. I could talk, talk to you about this part forever because I, I was just, I just, I'm leading a 300 or facilitating a 300 hour yoga teacher training with some folks who are coming in to teach, but I, I was holding the space in our most recent gathering. And we were talking about holding tension. Um, and we were actually referencing Susanna Barkataki's book, Embrace Yoga's Roots. And in the list of self-care practices, there's holding tension. And it sort of became the theme. It wasn't expected, but it became the, the theme uh, for our time together. And I love what you shared about there can be tension and can we relax into that? Because tension is going to arise when we are sitting with all of these different questions, the different ways of doing things, the things that seem like they're in opposition, when we're just in a group with people who are different, like we're, tension is going to, from being human, tension is going to, it's just going to show up and, and it's not going to be clean and clear and crisp. And that's just not how the, I mean, in my human experience, it's not clean, clear, or crisp. It's, I don't know. I thought I knew, but I don't know. <laughs> it's that, and that we don't know much, but like we have to respond right in moments with, from a place of wisdom, it's like both are true. And so I just love what you named about the practice of, of relaxing into it and, and that receptivity and presence to it. So we know what's happening, right? Oh, this is tension probably because there are multiple truths that are alive in this space right now. All right. Instead of running away from it or pushing for an answer, uh, which there's a lot of conditioning to push for the answer or shut down a process. So I, I just really love how you described that and, and the work, like, where's the practice and what does maturity actually look like? And so thank you for, for sharing that. It's making me think about um, the time we are in, you know, as we're alive now in 2022 and the uncertainty that you named, I'm wondering how you, you are, responding to the many tensions that are present in our world. It could be in your life, but you know, we know we're in relationship with everything. So like, I, that's why I said world and the intensity of uncertainty in people's reaction to that is really what I'm thinking about. Like, what are you noticing? How are you working with the tension of what it means to be here today, given all we've been through in the past two and a half years, but 
you know, for a long time, things have been unsettled. It's just, there's more awareness of it now. Yeah. And I think we don't even know how long that journey has been, like how, how long has this been building? Like maybe forever. Right. Right. Well, I can give you two answers. I can give you the answer of like, when I react from my baser side and I can give you the reaction, what I do when I am more tapped into my inner teacher. I think both would be helpful because people are doing both, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and I would say just like any human being, I will eat sweets. I will um, look at my screens. I will um, buy things. I will like all of the coping mechanisms. That's my baser side. Obviously that's not my higher side. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's a reality. Like we all have coping mechanisms that are not what we really want to be revealing on a podcast. And then there are the coping mechanisms that I think I want to lean into more. And I do, I, I am proud of the growth that I have experienced over my adult life and being able to lean more into things like being outside, walking, gardening, being in relationship, connecting with humans deeply beyond the surface and presence in the actual moment I'm in because a lot of the tension that we feel happening in the world is actually happening in our brains, right? It's our interpretation of what's going on in the world. We can't actually know everything, you know, like we don't, there's so much we don't know that's going on. So how often do we pause and really feel into what do I actually know instead of what am I making up? What am I thinking? Well, probably this, I think that the more that I'm able to spend time in my actual body, in this actual moment, that is the grounding that I need to heal and to stay alive. And I I don't mean alive in the like heart beating sense. I mean, like in the sense of continuing to grow and take skillful action. I appreciate your authenticity around this. Like both things are happening. There are coping skills and mechanisms that I engage in me too, that are not from the higher self. Right. And, and certainly in response to like overwhelm and I don't know what's going on and what is happening to us that, and the higher self that both are present or can be. And of course, this is part of the teachings that's, central to yoga and integral to yoga around the ego and the higher self. And that part of our practice is to be in that connected to the higher self more, which is connected to everything. And I heard you say, I'm proud of the, you know, the way I've grown. And I just, I noticed it because I'm not sure people, well, I am sure because I talked to a lot of people. I think I'm sure that I don't hear people claim their growth very much. Um, and I heard it. I was like, oh, I really am glad you're rec- reflecting on your path and your journey and what you've been able to do to to move from your higher self when you can, right? 
which also feels like it's in my mind connected to how you're caring for yourself or nurturing your spirit, which of course is in communion with, with all things. So I just wanted to reflect that back that I, that I heard that and love that practice of claiming our growth in that way. And I, I also know before I pressed record, we were talking and you mentioned the garden just a moment ago as in the list of things you are doing that, you know, remind you of your union or that you are in union with all things. Um, And we were talking about the garden and feeling alive and you said something about the garden and it's, it's not always a, I don't remember the word you used, but you said, it's not as if the garden is always joyous, right? Like there are things dying in the garden, there are things growing in the garden. And I just um, am thinking about that now and wonder if you would talk some about that process, because I also feel like it's connected to the moment we're in, the time we're in, whether or not we're reacting from our ego or, or base self to use your words or our higher self. You're talking about the natural cycle of things. <laughs> so I wonder if you want to go there. Um, um, go in there. Yeah, let's do it. So like you said, the garden is always in these stages of birth, life, death, (laughs) composting. And you have successes in the garden, you have these bumper crops, and you have these failures. But it's very elemental, right? It's not complicated Mm -hmm. in the garden. Now, sometimes it's a little mysterious, but it's still not complicated. It's really the essence of life is what we're dealing with out there. So that's it's really beautiful. Sometimes it's frustrating, but mostly it just makes me feel connected. The other thing though, this is a different layer of it, is that because the garden is there every day, I mean, really, if you want to be a gardener, you got to, you got to go out there pretty much every day. I mean, you can skip one day, but you'll probably regret it. (laughs) And so it's, with you, whatever's going on for you. So for example, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, and I don't think my daughter would have any problem with me saying it on the podcast. I have a 20 year old daughter and she just, just went through her first breakup. So I'm out there in the garden and I've got these earbuds in and I'm talking to my daughter about her breakup or I'm listening to a podcast episode, sometimes with, you know, difficult subjects, or I just had a fight with my husband and now I'm putting my hands in the dirt. So the whole experience when you're a gardener, it becomes interwoven with the ups and downs and spirals and cycles of whatever else is happening in your life. And I even find sometimes I'll go to an area of the garden and I'll remember a specific book or podcast I was listening to or a conversation that I had. So they're like, the garden is like filled with these memories. Hmm. Just sort of like our body, I think, gets Mm -hmm. connected to certain memories. The garden does too for me. Yes. Everything you just named feels like yoga, like what you named about how you feel connected when you're there and what we've been talking about around the teachings and the baser self and the higher self, their union, they, it feels like they're the same. And that 
the tending the garden, like you have to tend it each day. And, and I would say in my experience, tend it to sort of remember my connection. Um, it's one of the places that I go to remember my connection to all things and just to be like in awe of what is happening in the space and the reminder of the cycles that you named and what you said, the, what you said about it, it's like, it's not, it's not complicated, right? You're dealing with the essence of life. Like that feels like that's what we're trying to do as, as spiritual practitioners and people and humans moving about the planet at this time. So it feels like a teacher, the garden. For sure. Described. Yeah. And the memories that are held there too. Um, the what's imprinted there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what that made me think of too, is your question about how has my yoga practice matured? And that really speaks to it as well, that I think we try to make yoga too complicated. And the longer I'm in relationship with it, the more I'm really interested in just simplifying the essence, like how essential can I make my practice? Not that there you can't enjoy and have joy with complexity and whatever, whatever practice makes you feel great, but I've become much more interested in distillation and almost efficiency where it's like, okay, instead of having to do like this hour and a half practice to get to this certain state, could I learn and move towards like lifting the veil in an, in a moment mm-hmm. and just dropping in? That's exciting. Mm-hmm. And in that way makes it, I think sometimes people feel like, I mean, to be clear, I'll be like studying this path for as long as I can and am in this body and it's multifaceted, right? And there's so much to learn and I'm not going to learn it all in this lifetime or the next, like, it's just, there's so much, but I think some, a barrier for some folks is that they believe they have to practice for the 90 minutes, whatever that practice might look like. And so then they don't do it. I mean, this is connected to how yoga has been Westernized and, and colonized and presented to us and so many things, but you're saying it, what you're suggesting is, and I think it comes through practice and time meaning over time, like, can it happen in a minute or five minutes versus 90 minutes? And if it can happen in a minute, can it happen anywhere? Like, can it happen in any interaction with self or others or the planet? It feels expansive in that way as I listen to you talk about it. Exactly. And because humans are complex, we create things that are complex. Mm -hmm. And as long as that's feeding us and leading us where we want to go, I think that's great. You know, read all the texts, practice, you know, if if working on advanced physical asana is really leading you towards connection and receptivity and presence, then awesome. Keep doing it, right? Because there's so many other worse things you could be spending your time on. <laughs> and at the same time, let's not get confused about the purpose of these this complexity and and let's not assume or 
have the misconception that it's a requirement. Let's make it a choice. Like I'm choosing to engage with yoga in this way because it fuels me, it feeds me, I love it. And I also recognize that if at a certain point in time, it wasn't doing that for me anymore, there are other paths, there are other ways to engage. Mm -hmm. So giving, I mean, spaciousness around this and, and the reminder, there are different paths um, and ways of being present or, or cultivating more presence and receptivity in one's life. And the invitation to really think about our question, is this feeding my spirit or not? And, and that exploration that feels important that sometimes people don't even sort of ask themselves that question because of how the path at times has been presented, I feel like, and it has to do also with like who's teaching and what we think this is. And I mean, there are a lot of things that influence our relationship to the path of yoga. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, many times I talk to people on this. I think there's an undercurrent of this, what I'm about to ask that we've been talking about, but many times I ask people about um, their practice and, and grief. And I asked you about the moment and uncertainty and I, I do wonder if your practice of karate and yoga or on the path of yoga or that place in the middle you described with those two paths, if there are ways it has supported you when you have experienced uncertainty or loss or transition that you'd be willing to share. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think that the essence of what I'm talking about as a yoga practice is the only thing that helps with uncertainty and grief. Depression, I have a complicated relationship with, so I don't think we have time to get into it, but I've definitely experienced <laughs> a lot of it in my life. And there's this um, chemical aspect to it mm -hmm. that isn't always surmountable through a practice like this, but it can certainly help. But when it comes to something like grief, which is basically a resistance to what is, I mean, that's like an internal resistance to the circumstances of our lives. That's grief. That's my definition. This willingness to show up and soften into your own pain Ironically, my experience is that's the only thing that resolves the pain. The more that we fight against it, it's like we're feeding into it. So I talked a bit earlier about a bit of a more masculine side to my personality, more driven, more goal-oriented. And that side of me does not want to experience grief. <laughs> that side of me is like, I'm going to do something and then I won't feel it anymore. So the growing edge and the integrity in, in my, on my path, integrity is opening to it, opening to pain, almost welcoming it, welcoming it for the teacher that it is. I'll say that. Not, that doesn't mean you're welcoming the circumstances that brought the grief, but the actual experience of grief, it's like, hey, if I wasn't experiencing this, it would mean I wasn't alive. It would mean that I was not in this, having this experience where I am capable of growing. I am capable of learning. I am capable of 
being human and having this human experience, you can't have a human experience without grief. Not really. I mean, you can pretend, mm -hmm. but it's only going to lead to more and more and more pain. So yeah, to me, they are incredibly intimately connected and that I couldn't separate my practice of yoga from what allows me to work with grief. Yes. It's interesting because I, before our interview was interviewing someone else and, and she was, although the question was different that I asked her, she was saying, she said something very similar about it was grief, discomfort, staying the capacity to stay. And she, and, and also to sort of deal with or respond to our wounds um, and the ways we wound others and our grief and some of what you just named. And she was talking about like, there's no way to figure out how to respond to our wounds unless we're like willing to look at them, understand them, touch them, right? Touch into them. And what you just named about grief and our human experience and the practice of yoga feels like we can't, we can't meet the moment unless we're willing to practice. Like we, there isn't another option unless we're like willing to show up and be in the practice and experience of what's actually going on. And yet there are so many things that get in the way of us doing that. And I think what I want to uplift what you named about pain, we can be on a, in this place where we're like, we're not going to look at what's going on. We're not going to feel in response to this. We're not going to grieve in response to this. And that's just going to cause more pain for us. And, and there, are, I mean, that is manifesting on the planet. It's, I think so much of why we're where we are. And I, I really appreciate the way you talked about the practice and of yoga and the practice of being human, um, which means facing death and loss and transition and uncertainty. It's just so powerful the way you, you talked about that and that the practice is like show up for what is, what is happening really. So thank you for sharing that way. And I, I don't know if there's more you want to say about it. Well, I know we're running yeah. close to the end of our time and something that did come up for me that I feel called to talk about is hope because for me anyway, the easy response or the natural response to what's going on in the world is like this fear, uncertainty, and then kind of like the shutting down of, I don't know the answer and I don't really know what to do. So I'm just going to shut down. I'm just going to avoid and move into all those other patterns that are how we cope that aren't, aren't as useful. And there's a few things that I can turn to that do give me hope. And I think these are very healing. It's not really a practice. It's just like ideas or relationships that give me hope. It's really relationships. Actually, that's, uh, that's what I will go ahead and say. The way that my friends and I and the people that I am connected with are able to communicate now in this moment, it's really different from how people were communicating 20 years ago, even people who were very with it. Our culture 
is healing. There is a, there is, yes, I know there's a huge number of people out there that are choosing not to heal. And that is, that's reality. But oh my God, so many people are stepping into this way of being with each other that allows each person autonomy and agency and growth. And we're learning how to speak to each other in ways that respect that and learn from each other without putting each other on pedestals. I mean, there is some really amazing stuff going on when it comes to relationship. And then as a parent, the other side of that is my relationship with my children because my parents were pretty with it. Like I had, I was lucky with my parents. Um, And there were quite a few pretty significant dysfunctional patterns that my mom passed away about a decade ago. I think you and I talked about that when you were on my podcast. And even the growth that I have experienced since her death, I think it's probably more than I had the the entire time until then, like my entire life until then. And what I've been able to pass on to my children is mind blowing the skills, the support in helping them to manage and honor their feelings and their experience. Like, again, I didn't have parents that were particularly bad in any way. I had really good parents but they did not have the skills that I have now and that so many people have now. I mean, our ways of interacting with each other and our skill set around this, the knowledge is available that, I mean, you probably had to be a therapist to know this stuff 20 years ago, right? And now everybody, not everybody knows it, but everybody could know it if they wanted to. It's really cool. So, I think it's important when we talk about grief and we talk about pain and we talk about challenge that we also tap into hope because it's just easy to get pushed down and disheartened when we're only focusing on what's wrong and there's so much that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that you, you brought in hope and where you're feeling it and finding it and what you named about relationship and how and information and communication. And I would say I noticed the same thing around, and certainly in my friend groups, but in spaces I facilitate. I mean, I've been a dismantling racism trainer for 20 years. The conversations or the ways we were like communicating 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, in those spaces is different. People are bringing in different things. It's just different. The con- the like problem we're talking about is the patterns are, are there and present and have been in place for a long time. But the way, what you named about autonomy and agency and consent, even people were not talking about consent in the 20 years ago in the way we are now. It just, they weren't in the spaces I was in at least. So I, ju- I do think that's important to uplift to your point because it can feel like uh, what's happening? Are we going to make it? It can feel like that. And what you named about some people are not 
they're just making the choice not to heal, right? And so who are we in community with? Are we in community with people who are making the choice to heal, do their work? We do our work together. Are we in community with people who are like, no, I'm not, I'm not willing to do this, that we have some agency at times. It depends on the relationship, but we have some agency there. And I wanted to, before we end our interview, ask if there's anything else you want to share before we close, but also um, for you to share some about what's coming up for you, if there's anything you want. And of course, I'll link to your website and all of that and ways people can connect with you, your offerings in the show notes. But if there's anything else you want to share and anything you want to share about what's coming up. The first thing is just to circle back around to a part of the conversation that was kind of early on where we talked about giving ourselves credit for growth. And the thread that I wanted to pull into that is around self-forgiveness because it's a pattern that I'm observing a lot is, is the challenge in self-forgiveness. It's like this tendency to get really get stuck in, I made a mistake then, and then to let that mistake keep perpetuating just because you made it then, right? It, it, letting the, the ripples go on a lot longer than you need to. Whereas every mistake we make is an opportunity for growth. So that's a choice right there. If you want to self-recriminate and, and basically keep the pattern going, you're choosing to do that. And the other choice, there's probably more, but the other choice that I see is self-forgiveness. And if you say, I made a mistake, I acknowledge that, I forgive myself, now I'm going to grow. Now I'm going to make a different choice. And part of why it came back up for me is, is this conversation around children. And this is something that I'm really, really trying to help shine a light on for my own children is to not nag on them about a mistake that they made. And instead to just acknowledge the mistake and then talk about what's next. Let's, let's move on. Let's not worry about, yeah, you made a mistake. We all do. That's okay. It's a little bit challenging because there is this cultural narrative. Like there's, as a parent, you don't have full control. There's stuff your kids are learning and absorbing all around them that you can do your best to counteract, but you can't for sure. So that's really interesting as a parent to see what are the threads that like, hey, I didn't teach you that. <laughs> like, where'd you get that? But modeling, you know, if you are a parent, anyone listening as a parent, obviously that practice has to start with you, self-forgiveness. So that's a beautiful practice. And then you asked about projects coming up. I have a, I have a membership for yoga teachers called the Impact Club. And as I mentioned in the beginning, it's really about supporting the members to stay connected to what's most important for them. There are definitely overlaps in values among members. And this is why I love working with yoga teachers. It's just about the, the values that we have in alignment. And part of that is I lead a live guided meditation every week. We connect every week. For anyone who isn't ready to really invest in that community, because it's a community, it's about really supporting each other. I also started releasing 
these meditations as a private podcast for my members. And the thing that's coming up is I'm going to be selling memberships just to this private podcast. I also have a free podcast. It's called the Yoga Teacher Resource. So you can check that out if you are interested in. I have over 215 episodes, uh, tons of information. So that is freely offered. And for those who want to support that work and want to circle into this deeper work of connecting to presence and receptivity, I'm excited to be offering sort of a smaller, easier way to, to engage with the work that I'm doing. And that is this private podcast. So if you go to my website, teachingyoga.net, you'll be able to find whatever you're looking for. I'm also on Instagram at yoga.teacher.resource. And I have a Facebook group called the Yoga Teacher Resource Community. So many ways people can connect with you. And I will put those ways in the show notes. And I'm excited about your your um, program and the podcast, the private podcast you're going to release for members of that and what's coming up for you. And I want to thank you for doing the work you do in the world and for your practice and for making time to be here today and for flowing with the the conversation, being in it with me. So thank you so much, Mado, for being here. It's been a total pleasure and honor. Thank you again for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.